We hope you'll enjoy this episode of Women Worth Knowing. Make sure you rate us on your podcast app, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Hello and welcome. My name is Jasmine Allnut and I'm with Cheryl Broderson. Thought <laughs> I'd make it really exciting. Yay! And we're doing something different because I'm doing the intro. That's right. And the reason that I'm doing the intro is because I have to make a confession about the person that Cheryl is going to share on today. <laughs> because I read about this gal years ago and I thought like, oh, I don't know, man. Her story, it's kind of meh whatever. And I was boring, blah, blah, blah. But you know what? I have to confess. I looked over her life again now and I realized like, wow, the Lord really used her in an amazing way. And I was so much more encouraged. And so that's why I wanted to start today because I, I had a it. confession. I love it when you confess your sin. Thank it just you. really yep, blesses you know, to me. one another. And, yeah. <laughs> and you know what? You're forgiven and you're cleansed from Thank all unrighteousness. You. Amen. Thank yes. you, Jesus. It, so. Receive it. Just receive it. <laughs> I'm talking Jesus? about Mrs. Charles Spurgeon. Yes. And I want to say that I read this book, I think about 25 years ago. See, this says how old I am because I'm 60. <laughs> so I started reading missionary biographies and the biographies of Christian women somewhere in my, actually in my teens. Mm -hmm. And so I, sometimes I'll even get them mixed up. That's why we have to take notes and you know, I want to be totally, sure. Totally, I know. But I read about, as a young pastor's wife, I read about Mrs. Charles Spurgeon and she totally inspired me mm. because a lot of the struggles I had were the ones that she struggled with. And I said, I'm not alone. Another thing that Jasmine and I were talking about is so many times we're talking about these really dynamic women. Like she talked uh, last week about Priscilla Studd and she was dynamic. Yeah. I mean, she went to India. She had a difficult husband. She went to China. Mm -hmm. And for some of you, you're like, uh, I haven't gone anywhere. Right. You know, I've gone to the market, but I don't want you to feel bad about that because we're going to talk about someone today who never went anywhere. Yep. You know, the yep, only place that she ever traveled was on her honeymoon or to get her health, to recover yeah, to in like her health. Yeah. So we want you to know that God uses you right where you're at. Mm -hmm. And here is a woman who just did what she could where she was at. She struggled with depression yeah. and she struggled with weakness and mm -hmm. with pain, with constant pain. Mm -hmm. And yet God was able to use her right where she is. And so we're talking about Mrs. C.H. Spurgeon. Her name was Susanna Thompson and she was born January 15th, 1832. And she was born in London. And mm. You know, they'll talk about in these old books, like Clapham, as if it was outside of London. And you're like, wait, no, that's no, part of that's London. In, yeah, the city. So, but anywhere, all these places in those days were considered outside of London. It's like Manhattan London used proper. to be considered outside of New York City. Right. And now it's all part. So she wasn't born in London proper. She was born just a little bit outside. And again, like I said, she never traveled outside of England except for, you know, for a vacation mm -hmm. or with her family. Or on her honeymoon, yeah, or to recover only, yeah. health, and she attended the church at New Park Street Chapel, and it's interesting because that's a church that Spurgeon would later pastor at. Mm -hmm. She's brought up in a godly family, but she's really called to spiritual things until she was about uh, fifteen or sixteen, and she heard a sermon on Romans ten eight. The word of God is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. And she felt the spirit like tugging on her, like to give her heart to the Lord. And that night she surrendered to Jesus. But in her own word, she had no fellowship. So she never grew. And she called it um, sleep in a, in, um, faith in a sleepy condition. Mm. 
that it was there, but it wasn't <laughs> awakened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was dormant. It was like hibernating. Mm-hmm. Well, in 1853, she was in London proper, <laughs> and she was staying with a godly couple who attended New Park Street Chapel. And she was not really going to church regularly. And they came home from church raving about how anointed this 19-year-old country boy was who had spoken there. Mm. And they asked Susanna to go back with them to church that Mm. night to hear him preach. And when they got to New Park Street Chapel, so at this time, New Park uh, Street Chapel could hold 1,500 people. And up to this point, it had never held over 200 Wow. No more than 200 in attendance. And that morning, there had been like 150 or so. That night, it was packed. Uh, there, People were Word standing. Word got around. Right. Yeah. Because of how anointed this 19-year-old country boy was. And she was like, okay, what's this going to be? And when mm-hmm. he came out, she was just like, no. Because he was dressed like somebody he had who polka did dots not, on or something. Or he had a scarf that he oh. pulled out that was polka dot exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so he pulls his handkerchief to wipe his you know perspiration off his face, and it's polka dot. And she's like, "Oh no, this guy is so country." Yeah, and he had like a blue scarf around him, and I guess that just was so out of fashion. And he was so out of fashion, so and <laughs> everything in him just said country, country, mm-hmm. country. And so she was almost embarrassed for him. Um, But he spoke and everyone was riveted. And she was just kind of like, okay, you know, that was nice, you know. But one sentence pierced her consciousness. And it was when he spoke about living, being living stones in the heavenly temple, perfectly joined together with the vermilion cement of Christ's blood. I mean, he was so poetic. Yes, he was. I mean, here he is. He's uneducated. We talked about this before. He doesn't go to college. Mm. He doesn't go to university, but he was probably one of the most brilliant um, men. Mm -hmm. And so eloquent, right. And so he says this, and she just keeps thinking about the vermilion cement of Christ's blood Mm. and how it's drying us all together. It's the mortar that puts all these living stones together. So after that, now he's 19 years old, Spurgeon accepts a pastorate at New Park Street Chapel. Mm. And wait, I, sorry, how old is she? Is she? She's a little older than him, right? Just, yeah. Okay. Just a little bit. Okay. And he's invited to dinner with the Olneys, and he and Susanna are introduced. And soon, you know, after that introduction, uh, she keeps going to hear uh, the messages on Sundays, and all of a sudden— She's so convicted about her spiritual indifference. Mm. And she prays with one of the only sons who happened to work at New Park Chapel. Um, and she prays and says, I just, I want to give everything to Jesus. I've been mm-hmm. sleeping and everything. A week later, she receives a copy of Pilgrim's Progress mm. from C.H. Spurgeon. And he's written this introduction, and it says this, Miss Thompson, with desires for her progress in the blessed pilgrimage, from C.H. Spurgeon, April 20th, 1854. And at this point, you know, and he's not thinking of her in any way at that point. Not that right? we know not of. Not that we know of, right? Not he's just thinking of. like she needs to walk right. with the Lord. I want to pour into her. In but way. I don't know that he did that with any other young con- converts. Ah, I think there was some maybe attraction. Maybe there was a little something. Maybe she just downplayed it. Yes. <laughs> and after that, their friendship began to grow. And mm. again, remember, there wasn't really such a thing as courting or uh, public affection like we have today. Right. You have chaperones. You have chaperones <laughs> and everything is, you know. But there was a group of Christians who went to the opening of Crystal Palace on June 10th, 1854. And Susanna and Charles were both part of that group. And at one point, he he opened this book he had. It was a new poetry book that was really popular in that day. And he asked her what she thought of it. And it was uh, by a man named Martin Tupper. Mm-hmm. And the book was called Pro- Proverbial Philosophy. And, and he, he wow. opened to one page 
And she said to him, well, I'm not really interested in that book. I found that the poetry was a little forced. But he said, well, what about this particular poem? And he takes his <laughs> finger and he points to this stanza. And this is what it says. Seek a good wife of thy God, for she is the best gift of his providence. Yet ask not in bold confidence that which he had not promised. Thou knowest not his good will. Be thy prayer then submissive thereunto. And leave thy petition to his mercy, assured that he will deal well with thee. If thou art to have a wife of thy youth, she is now living on the earth. Therefore, think of her and pray for her well. So that's what makes mm. me think he was already maybe a little yeah, bit interested. Yeah, that point, for sure. He's sending yes. out vibes. So he, he's pointing <laughs> to that. And then he asks her, just very plainly, do you pray for him who is to be your husband? Then he asked wow. if she would take a little walk yeah. around. So they walked around Crystal Palace, <laughs> and he declared his love for her. Mm. And to quote Susanna, God himself united our hearts in indissoluble bonds of true affection, and though we knew it not, gave us to mm. each other forever. Mm. So two months later, August 2nd, um, 1854, they were sitting in her grandfather's back garden, mm -hmm. and she said it was not a picturesque setting, because when you hear the word garden, you're like, oh, oh an garden. English garden? Yes, yeah. but she said no. It was <laughs> uh, had mainly gravel paths oh. and high brick walls and a dreary and unromantic place for a declaration of love, to Whoops. quote her. <laughs> and yet that's where he asked, uh, Charles asked Susanna to marry him. Now, she never disclosed how he asked her, hmm. but later she would remark that it was wonderful. Aww, in now, spite of the location. <laughs> that's right. Susanna had never been baptized. She might have been sprinkled, but hmm. she felt like she needed to be fully baptized. Right. So it was necessary for her to be baptized at New Park um, Church. She had to write a confession or a faith, you know, mm -hmm. what she believed. Yeah. So she wrote out this confession of what Jesus meant to her and what salvation meant. And Charles read it. Now, it was supposed to go to a different pastor, but Charles also oh, read it, whoops. and he wrote to her, Oh, I could weep for joy, as certainly I'm doing now, to think that my beloved can so well testify to a work of grace in her soul. I knew you were really a child of God, but I did not think you had been led in such a path. I see my master has been plowing deep. I mm. flatter no one, but allow me to say honestly that few cases which have come under my notices are so satisfactory as yours. <laughs> Mark, I write, not now as your admiring friend, but impartially as your pastor. <laughs> sure. And he signed it, yours with pure and holy affection, as well as terrestrial love. C.H. Spurgeon. I mean, this wow, is truly wrote. a romantic how, love story. And how cool for him, really, in that moment to realize she's not a church girl. Like, yes. man, we're going to be a team right. for the well, Lord. Well, what? after they get engaged, after they get engaged, he's so popular now. I mean, you've got thousands upon thousands coming out yeah. to hear him. Yeah. So they go to a particular hall, and they're in a cab. And when I say cab, it's horse-drawn carriage. Mm -hmm. So they pull up, and he knows he's got to get in here. And he's got all these kind of— um, almost bodyguards, to yeah. get him yeah, into yeah, the building. Yeah. And he jumps out of the cab and and doesn't think about her and just rushes in, and she's trying to follow him. Oh, my goodness. And he closes the door behind him, so she's outside with the throng of people, and he's totally forgotten about her because he's oh so focused on yep. speaking. She can't, no. <laughs> she can't even get in to hear him speak. 
This is her fiance. And she's locked out with the throng of people that can't get in. And nobody knows who she is. And she's just crestfallen. So she gets a cab and she goes back to her mother's house and she's crying. I mean, she's kind of thinking, this is over. He doesn't even know who I am or anything. Wow. And her mother says, you know, now calm down, honey. You've got to realize his first priority is the Lord. And you're going to have to share him with Jesus Christ and with the people of God. And this is this is what you're signing up, and you better consider, is this, are you ready for this? Mm. Because this is your service to God. Can you do this? Yeah. And so she's praying, and Spurgeon, uh, she sees a cab pull up, and Spurgeon comes running in the house going, is dear Susanna here? Is Susanna here? Because oh he's realized gosh. what he's done. And um, the mother says, can I talk to you? So Susanna's mother has a little talk and explains how Susanna's feeling and everything, mm-hmm. and he comes in, and he apologizes. Oh, yeah. Um with all of his heart. Good boy. But even so, hmm. she would say that there were times that he was so uh, preoccupied with his sermon and what he was going to preach that she would come up to him like, you know, hello, darling. Yeah. And he would shake her hand and say, uh, good to meet you. Like not even look at her face or know oh who he was greeting. Oh, my gosh. It's tunnel vision. He was very, he was very um, hyper-focused on what he would do for the Lord. Yeah. And and honestly, really, I mean, you could see it's kind of interesting, like with C.T. Studd talking yes. about him last week. He was a little more radical than Spurgeon, but just it's this, there's a similar challenge here. That's right. Like, I'm going to be with a man who's devoted to ministry. And there was a time, not to get too far ahead, but where he he said that to her, like, gently. Like, yeah, you know, oh, I'm going to get to that. Oh, you want to get to that? Oh, yeah. Okay, the lamb. But let me, okay. let me just do go, this go, first. Go. <laughs> Their dates consisted of, of Spurgeon sharing his sermons with her and her helping him with his notes. So this is all their dates. All their dates had to do with sermons and talking about the Lord. But already Spurgeon was being ridiculed by the press, again, because he's a country boy, again, because he's so popular. And the non-believing media who was super into evolution and wanted to believe there was no God, they were just, they hated him. They Mm -hmm. absolutely hated him. You got to remember at this time, there's a school of um, liberalism. And I was just reading about this man in um, Holland who was sitting in a class and his teacher at this Christian college gets up and says, I have come through my study to believe that Jesus did not rise from the dead. And his whole class got up and clapped because if Jesus did not rise from the dead, they're not responsible (sighs) for anything. So here's this man saying, no, Jesus lived, Jesus died on a cross and Jesus rose from the dead and God is the creator of everything and you owe everything to God. And they're upset because thousands are flocking to him. He's a prolific writer. People are beginning to read what he's writing. So the Sheffield Independent and the Empire, these two newspapers were especially cruel. I mean, every... They did articles. He started cutting out every article that was written about him, and he would give them to Susanna. And he he had her put them in a scrapbook that was called, well, we'll get to that, but it's called um, Fact, Fiction, and uh, Fact Shy. (laughs) And it was interesting because they would look over these uh, Hmm. positive and negative, and he had them all in a a scrapbook. And so in 1855, Spurgeon took, get this, 1855, his first train ride. His first train wow, ride to Scotland, <laughs> and the services were packed out. And he began to write Susanna, asking her to help him, not because uh, not to become cold, because he felt like he loved her so much that there was a little bit of a distance with God, and he felt like he mm. didn't want to become arrogant because he was so popular in yeah. his teaching. And he said, "I want you to pray for my humility. I want you to pray that I'm never." Um, caught up with um, fame fame and all of this. So they were married at New Park Street Chapel on January 8th, 1856. And you know what? People purchased tickets to the wedding. Oh, And it was packed 
out. That's different. Standing room. In fact, by 30 minutes before the, the wedding, the church was full. 30 Crazy. minutes. So people got there early. They went on a 10-day honeymoon to France where Susanna, who spoke perfect French, took them to all the sites mm-hmm. and museums. So they had that love of art and mm-hmm. artistic things together. Mm-hmm. Mutual. Susanna was a good wife and was always mindful of the budget, and they saved every extra penny to start a pastor's college because it was Spurgeon's heart to train up people in the ministry. Yeah. In fact, that's where the book Lectures to, to My, my students, students Yeah, mm-hmm, came out of that. So Spurgeon was asked to travel and speak. And only once in those first few years did he see her break down and cry. And he gently scolded Mm her, wifey. And I love that he called her wifey. Mm -hmm. Do you think that when any of the children of Israel brought a lamb to the Lord's altar as an offering to him, they stood and wept over it when they had seen it laid there? Well, don't you see? You are giving me to God and letting me go to preach the gospel to poor sinners. And do you think he likes to see you cry over your sacrifice? (laughs) And, you know, Susanna agreed with him and she said, and then she would let him go. But after he left, she would have a good cry. But yeah, not, not but in front not of him. In front of me, which mm-hmm. is sweet. And and I these I just love these wives and their, you know, their their willingness because they understood they were loved, but they were willing to just say for the sake of the gospel and what the yeah. Lord's doing. So on another occasion, Spurgeon was struggling with a certain text and he couldn't get it. And you know, he just he poured his whole heart into his study yeah. of the scripture and he wanted to really understand it. And he couldn't quite get the meaning. He was so frustrated. Mm. And finally, he was so exhausted. She said, honey, you're just going to have to go to bed. And in the middle of the night, he began to talk in his sleep and it awakened Susanna. And she realized that he was perfectly articulating this text yes. that, had, that had frustrated him. But she knew she couldn't get out of bed because she didn't want to wake him and <laughs> stop the sermon. So she sat there and she prayed that the Lord would help her to remember. And she put it all to memory. And she kept repeating to herself all the vital points that he did. And when he woke up, she repeated to him what he had said. And he said, Oh, that's wonderful. And she said, no, it's what you said last night when you were sleeping. And he said, you know, he was just incredulous. That is, that's the Lord. That's miraculous. Well, because he woke up late too. So it's like he wouldn't have had time. (laughs) That's right. So on September 20th, 1856, Susanna gave birth to twin sons, Charles Mm. and Thomas. But after she gave birth, she became very sick and she could not go to the Surrey Gardens Music Hall on Sunday Mm. evening, October 19th. That night, 12,000 people crowded in to Uh hear the 25-year-old Spurgeon preach. At 6 o'clock, before he was able to come to the the pulpit, some ruffians had snuck in and they thought it'd be funny to yell fire. And they yelled fire. And all of a sudden, it started this panic in the auditorium and people began to stampede. Mm. And in the pandemonium, one of the balconies gave way and fell, and eight people were crushed, yeah. and they died. Yeah. And it and was so traumatic, yeah. right? And the press blamed Spurgeon for everything. <sighs> and he had almost like a nervous breakdown. He mm-hmm. wasn't sure that he could ever recover his equilibrium. Mm-hmm. And there were some friends in Croydon. And again, at this point, Croydon was not considered part of London. It right. was outside, outside of London. Of and so they had him come and stay with him. And she had a plaque made for him that said, Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute mm. you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Matthew 5, 11 through 12. So um, interestingly enough, I wanted to tell you this. Um, they he, they recovered. They moved to Clapham in 1857. But still he's being uh, persecuted by mm. the press. But I want to say that John Ruskin 
who was, hey. he was one of their really good friends. And he yes. would come and visit them regularly. Like Lilius Trotter. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, for the first 10 years of marriage, Susanna tried to accompany her husband everywhere he went. Mm. Then she fell gravely ill. And when he traveled, she would have to stay home. But he wrote to her every single day without fail. Mm. She hated being bedridden. But even when she was ill, she decided to start compiling his sermons. She wrote articles for The Sword and the Trowel, which was their uh kind of periodical, Mm -hmm. and as well as she wrote four books, her own books, that she wrote. In fact, I'll get to those at the end, Lord willing, about what they are. (laughs) And she became aware at the same time of all these pastors who couldn't afford his books. So she organized a collection of books for pastors um, along with some of her husband's um, sermons, and she called this the Book Fund. The first Mm -hmm. year that she was over it, she was able to distribute over 8,000 books to these pastors who had no money. Yeah. And as it kept going, it increased um, to 11,000 books. And then uh, it increased the ministry to include food, funds, and clothing for many of these impoverished um, families. She underwent surgery. Can you imagine of surgery? Like, you know, in those days. Late 1800s, yeah. And and, and she wasn't even that old. Like, I mean, it wasn't like she was in her 70s or something. What was she, uh, late 30s, early 40s? No, early 30s. Uh, yeah, early 30s. Early 30s. Yeah, That's, and I she, mean, wow. she has surgery, and it was to correct whatever malady. It's never mentioned what it was, but she mm. never fully recovered. Mm. And one day she was—this is like my favorite story. One day she was in bed, and he had this habit before he would leave. He would say, wifey, is there anything I can get for mm. you today? <laughs> and so she said, I would like an opal ring and a piping bullfinch. And he looked at her. He says, oh, you know, Which I cannot a bird. get those for you. <laughs> yes, a piping bullfinch is a bird. And he says, I can't get those for you. For the next several days, they both laughed at a request. Like, can you believe how yeah, ridiculous yeah. <laughs> that request was? Until a woman who was dying sent a message to the church <laughs> saying she was dying and she had a special gift she wanted to give to Mrs. Spurgeon. <laughs> so Spurgeon sent his secretary over, who was a man in those days, to collect the box. And inside that box was a beautiful opal ring. And he takes it to his wife. Um, At the same time, they moved to Brighton because she needs to be near the ocean for her health so it could um, be improved. And while they're in Brighton, he gets another call. And he goes to see this man who's dying. And he's praying with him. And as he's about to leave, the wife says, You know, Pastor Spurgeon, I have this piping bullfinch, and my husband can't stand his song, and I just know it would delight your (laughs) wife. Will you give it to her? So he comes home with this piping bullfinch, this bird, and he gives it to his wife. And when he presents it to her, he says, I think that you are one of our Heavenly Father's spoiled children, and he just gives you whatever you ask for. Seriously. Now, I read that, and I was a pastor's wife, and, you know, just thinking, wow, how neat that the Lord cares for a pastor's wife. I read this story to Brian. He goes to church, um, and that week he comes home, and he throws this box at me, and he says, Wifey, I think of all of God's children, you are the most spoiled. I open it up, and it's a noble ring. What? And I said, what is going on here? And he said, this woman just came to church, and she said she had she had this ring, and she felt like the Lord said she was supposed to give it to you. I mean, it was seriously like two to three days so after I told crazy. Brian this story. I know. I love this. Yeah, that's the Lord. So um, <laughs> You know it is. She recorded her ministry. 
and the wonders that God did in the um, in the book that's called 10 Years of My Life in the Service of the Book Fund. <laughs> Who would think how the Lord used that? But it was because of Susanna Spurgeon that Spurgeon's messages got to be all over the world. Mm. So both her strength and the funds to provide the books were dispensations of grace. In yes. 1878, her malady grew worse. And mm. they sent a wire to their son, Thomas, in Australia that she was near death and he should come home. But she recovered. In 1879, though, Spurgeon took ill. He um, had gout and other um, health health issues, and he was sent by doctors to France. But Susanna was not even healthy enough to go to France with him. Mm. And during that time, the Lord put on Susanna's heart that she must pass her beloved book fund ministry onto others. And that was one of the hardest things that she had to do. Well, sure, she's like a semi-invalid. It's like, right. Lord, this is something I can do. Right, yeah. and plus she was the one who, you know, had the inspiration, who yeah. had belted up to yeah. everything it was. And she had to give it away. I mean, really, really give it away. Mm. And so anyway, he wrote to her. Oh, I, I'm sorry. Also, for not only the book fund, but she also had the Westwood Clothing Society and yes. the home distributions of sermons. Those were all her organizations, and those Love were the, the what she had to give away. <laughs> I know. So in 1880, the Spurgeons moved to Norwood um, because it had like a great big garden. But Susanna was too ill to even help with the packing, and so C.H. Spurgeon mm. had to oversee it. And after the move, he was forced for his health to go to the Riviera, and he wrote her every day until he lost the use of his right hand. Oh. And he couldn't write her with his right hand. Oh. So Did he, he have, wrote with he his speak? left hand. Oh, wow. No, he could still speak. He left. Okay. He wrote with his left hand. And their, even their relationship was so biblical. I mean, you can you can read their letters. Mm-hmm. And they're so filled with, with Bible. Yeah. And he signs this letter, your own beloved Benjamite. Because remember, the, Benjam- <laughs> the Benjamites were left-handed oh, in yeah, the Bible. Yeah, totally. They could do this oh, thing. Oh, my goodness. And I mean, like, even the humor. And it was humor that she would get. Yep, yep. And so I love that. I, I know in lectures for in lectures to my students, he says that every student in the Bible should be so versed in the Bible, should they be cut, they will bleed Bibleine. Oh, my goodness. I love that. So Christmas of 1891, Spurgeon was in great pain, yet he kept studying, reading, and writing until he passed away on January 31st, Mm. 1892. Susanna lived for 12 more years, and during that time, she wrote a four-volume autobiography of Spurgeon from his diary, letters, records, and sermons, and she was a gifted writer. Wow, yeah. So these are her own books, Smooth Stones Taken from Ancient Brooks, and it was the story of Thomas Brooks. Hmm. A Carillion of Bells to Ring Out the Old Truths. She wrote that one. Hmm. Free Grace and Dying Love. A Cluster of Camphor for Sick and Sorrowful Souls. Hmm. A, a Basket of Summer Fruit. Westwood Leaflets. In October 7th, she uttered her parting blessing to her son Thomas. And get this. Hmm. When very near the end, her face became radiant. And she exclaimed, Blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus, I can see the king in his glory. Last words. Wow. Last what words. a way to go. Yeah. Huh? She oh died at half past eight in the morning of October 26, 22nd, mm. 1903. Is that amazing? So sweet. Man. And I, yeah. Well, I think what I came to really love and appreciate about her story was just how her suffering was sanctified for the Lord. Like she, you know, we kind of yeah. have talked about this with a lot of people. They yes. would just allow it to be used by God. And and then do you remember the firewood story? I think you have time to share that. Do you, do, there was a there was a part where she was uh, suffering in bed and with a f- companion, a friend. Yes. And she was just feeling, woe is right, me. Right, right, right. 
And she looked at the firewood. Yes. And she thought she heard a bird singing. Yeah. But it turned out the song was actually coming through the fire. And she said that the song had been hidden in the Mm -hmm. log. And it was only the fire that brought out the song. Exactly. And I think that's such a great Which shows how poetic she was, too. Yes, well, that, too. And and such a Bible student. Um, Now, I have to bring up a sticky subject, Jasmine. Uh Uh-oh. Do you know that people are supposed to rate this... uh, this podcast. Oh, this podcast? I know. Oh, we're wow. going to be rated. But the thing Ugh. is, if you are generous and the Holy Spirit moves you to put five stars down, <laughs> that will get other people listening to this. And they'll hey. they'll hear about women maybe be inspired by yes. some of these biographies to serve Jesus or to begin to pray. So mm. see, this is a way to evangelize by giving us five stars. Don't you think? I like it's that. It's five-star evangelism. That's Absolutely. what we're calling it. Oh, hey, that's... <laughs> That's a good way to look at it. Yeah. Exactly. Because Four stars is not know. really evangelism, but five-star evangelism. Oh, yeah. Go, yeah, go big or go home. That's I mean, right. We've got it. Yes. Right. Remember, I'm an old lady. And I remember Paul would say, you know, Paul the aged and writing to Philemon. So for Cheryl the aged, five stars. Please. Have mercy. The least you can do. Five stars. <laughs> but truly, we do want people to know these women and That's not right. just know them, but know the God who inspired and, you know, led them to do all that they did. And we don't think of this as the end all. We want to inspire people to read these books. Yes. These are books that, in fact, um, a lot of the information that I took is on, uh, it's called Mrs. C.H. Spurgeon by Charles Ray. It's mm. a it's a great book. Yes. And I we want to inspire people to read really good literature that's true, that's inspiring, that happened. Edifying, yeah. To, to inspire you. And, you know, especially... I, we don't read enough. No. And so this these are great books that have really uh contributed to both of our spiritual growth. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we'll be posting those as well. Right, those right, are getting right. posted all the list of our resources that we used. So just want to thank you all for listening to this episode. Very good. I'm Jasmine Allnett. This is Cheryl Broderson. <laughs> You can follow Cheryl on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow me. I don't know why you'd want to do that, but I'm Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever you want to use. You're on every platform. Oh, I try to be, except I don't go on very much, just to warn you. Um, But if you have a woman that we should know about, we'd love to hear from you as well. You can email us, or you can, with any feedback, you can email us. Thank you for listening. Five stars, please. Yes, please. Oh, yes, rate it. Thank you for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnett. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow Jasmine on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at wwk at cccm.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you've subscribed and don't forget to rate us on your podcast app and share it with friends. Thank you again for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnett.